everyone. Welcome to Freedom is the Cure, where we aim to show that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure. I'm Paul Dregu, the Communications Director for the John Birch Society. Thanks for tuning in. On December 9, 1958, Robert Welch of Belmont, Massachusetts, gathered 11 successful men in a quiet Indianapolis home to announce that instead of retiring, he was going to spend the rest of his life working to make sure that as many people as possible learn about the one world government conspiracy and that they join in the effort to defeat it. To do this, he was going to create an organization unlike any other, the John Birch Society. During that founding two-day meeting, he went into great detail explaining the threat we faced. He said, In the 20th century, modern man is simply being played for a sucker by an immoral gang of sophisticated criminals. These cunning megalomaniacs seek to make themselves the absolute rulers of the human race. And he added that, Internationalism is an attempt to impose more government and a more centralized one-world government on all of us everywhere. Part of the plan, he said, included imposing socialistic controls over every operation of our economy and every activity of our daily lives. Robert Welch's words during that fateful meeting in 1958 have, unfortunately, become reality. In America, and in most of the world, governments have grown to monstrous sizes. Our own government has slithered its slimy tentacles into every aspect of life, into education, into the media, into healthcare and our well-being, into our values and our churches. The Twitter files confirm that intelligence agents burrow their way into a private company to create state-sponsored propaganda, the ultimate goal being to control our beliefs, every activity of our daily lives. Welch's prediction, it turned out, was on the money. The arrival of COVID-19 convinced millions that there existed a global elite seeking to impose ultimate control of our lives. We all watched as governments across the world collaborated with the media and corporate behemoths to lock us into our homes, to muzzle us into silent and faceless obedient cattle, and try to force into us a mysterious and new technological concoction that is proving deadlier and more harmful by the day. Powerful international organizations like the World Economic Forum and its founder, Klaus Schwab, have said and written numerous times that it's time for global governance. In March, U.S. President Joe Biden said, there's going to be a new world order out there and we've got to lead it. President George H.W. Bush said something similar in 1991. David Rockefeller, whose family has been integral to establishing a one world government, admitted as much in his autobiography. With COVID mania, reality converged with the warnings of Birchers. In a way, this is good, because you can't solve a problem you don't know exists. And now people are waking up, and they are realizing what is truly going on. A YouGov poll from 2021 said that the conspiracy theory most commonly believed in the world is the one about a small group of people seeking to impose a one-world government. But the awakening brings its own problems. In this crucial episode, we're going to be discussing one of the most dangerous and destructive misconceptions about the conspiracy what we call the anti-Semitism tangent. But before we dive in, please remember to follow our social media and podcast channels and like and share this episode. Like with most truth tellers, Big Tech has restricted our message heavily and we need your help in spreading the word. So today I'm joined by two of my favorite conspiracy peddling colleagues. Dennis Barron is the publisher of the New American Magazine and Steve Bonta is the executive senior editor of the same awesome magazine. Gents, glad to have you back. So, as you both probably know, the idea of a conspiracy for global domination is not something the JBS discovered. 
only a dangerous ploy we did a heck of a lot to bring into the mainstream. Some left-wing magazines have been gracious enough to give us credit for blowing the doors off the conspiracy. But as the numbers of believers grow, there is the danger that they'll be led into tangents, misdirection, distractions. And one of those most common conspiracy conceptions is the Jewish tangent. The idea that the global domination conspiracy is concocted and worked out by Jews. Dennis, what do you think about that? Well, it's completely false. It's laughably false. It's evil falsehood. It's pernicious falsehood. And it gets right to the heart of a very core bit that we, as you know, freedom is the cure, point, would point out, we're diametrically opposed to. So the, the entire impulse towards socialism is based on the idea of collectivism, which is to arbitrarily create groups based on uh, random classifications of people, various characteristics that are, you know, potentially noticeable. That could be physical characteristics, it could be thought patterns, it could be economic classifications, and it often is religious-based. And so we have uh, anti-Semitism and looking at the Jews as a class of people who are therefore the other who are part of the problem, who maybe are the source of the problem. It's not true, um, first of all. But second of all, fundamentally, that kind of collectivism, that impulse toward collectivism, contradicts completely the idea of individual rights, contradicts completely the idea of individual value and individual worth, which is what we're all about here at the John Birch Society and the New American Magazine. The individual is the repository of rights and values and responsibilities given to them by God. Uh, and it's the individual at the ethical level that is what matters. By c collectivizing these into groups, these people into groups and denying their individual importance. Yeah. Uh, we take that individually, individuality away and very importantly we dehumanize them. They are dehumanized. And we saw in the 20th century especially, this is right within our very most recent memory in terms of our backyard history, we saw the consequences of this yeah. collectivization, dehumanization in absolute tyranny foisted upon half of the world's population, millions upon millions of people killed because they were dehumanized as a result of collectivization. And we have that impulse of collectivization as a step towards socialism taking place right now in our own country. Hey, hey, this, this part of it, huh? Yeah, absolutely is part of it. So if uh, anyone who falls into the trap of, uh, of accepting collectivized category, categorization of people, uh, you are falling into the trap of playing right into the hands of the people who want to uh, Fast, you know, lock us down with tyrannical measures. You're playing right into that. Yeah. Steve, what about the beginning of the conspiracy? We've written that length about this. And I think it's important to note that the founder of the Illuminati order, well, first of all, was not a Jew, right? Weishaupt. Uh, Weishaupt, yes. Yeah, well, um, I mean, regarding the, the the whole notion of a Jewish conspiracy, that actually uh, dates from before the pre-modern times. And... Um, you know, it, because of the unfortunate fact that the Jews, of course, were expelled by the Romans from their from their homeland in Palestine, mm -hmm. and and were and were what was called the, the diaspora, were spread out across the nations of Europe, but displayed an extraordinary resilience that I, I don't know that any other you know dispersed culture has ever done for so long to maintain their culture to maintain even their their ancestral language yeah um and of course their religion and so forth and they were remarkably successful at doing this they found certain niches uh in 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 medieval european society where they were able to be successful uh banking and finance being one of them of course and um 
and uh, they were very successful because of yeah. their, their 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 remarkable work ethic and their you know their, their, the the way they you know they, they're able to operate in much the same way that the overseas Chinese do today in certain other you know di- diasporic communities. But every time a crisis arose in Europe, uh, particularly in the Middle Ages, the first impulse was blame the Jews. And yeah. so, for example. Um, uh, second only to the actual mortality of people who died of the Black Death were the countless thousands and tens of thousands of Jews who were massacred in Europe who were blamed for it and who were claim- it was claimed that they were poisoning wells and that they were doing this and that. They were responsible for this, for this terrible disaster. And so this, the, what we now call anti-Semitism has a long and very unproud history in Europe. So yeah. then you know, fast forward to the beginning of the 20th century and lo and behold, this, this document, which we know now with certainty, was completely fraudulent, called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, yeah. surfaced, which purported to be sort of these the leaked secrets of this, you know, ultra, you know, secret Jewish conspiracy called the Elder, Elders of Zion yeah. who, who wanted to control the world. And, of course, that influenced many people, Adolf Hitler, of course, among them, but also um, Henry, Ford. Henry Ford and many other otherwise prominent, rational, sober people uh, believed in that. So this is the reason that today it's because that, of course, had such devastating consequences for, for, the, yeah. for modern history. That that one, you know, false uh, document and led to the Holocaust and all the rest of that. Um, it's very easy for the enemies of freedom today to look at people like us and say, "Well, you know, you must be." anti-Semitic because you're talking about a, a global conspiracy. Yeah. And isn't that the same idiotic hysteria, hysteria that led to the whole protocols of the elders of Zion and all of that, right? Yeah. So that's that's the problem. And even to this day, there are people who still believe the protocols are real. There certainly are such people in, in, in niche areas. Um, we have nothing to do with them. We never have. Uh, we disclaim that. But the fact that the protocols was a hoax and the fact that the Jewish conspiracy is not real does not discredit that there's a this idea that there is, in fact, a conspiracy. And some of the conspirators, doubtless, are Jewish. Some of them are Catholic. Some of them are Lutherans. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are atheists. Probably a majority of them are atheists. We don't really know, yeah. perhaps. Uh, that's largely irrelevant. So this is, this is the problem, is that there are so many of these sort of red herrings and false flags and distractions that have been introduced that allow people who haven't studied the, you know, the history carefully mm-hmm. to simply broad brush Anyone who makes a claim of any type of conspiratorial organization right. as being fraudulent, as being racist, as being anti-Semitic, and so forth. Do you think any of that is deliberate, Dennis? Well, I think what we have here is a great tool for someone who wants to fasten tyranny on a society to use toward that end. So if you can generate a great deal of hatred toward an arbitrary group, uh, say, let's say the Jews, for instance, or in, in Russia, some of the economic classes, but generate hatred of the, the mass population toward that minority group, mm-hmm. uh, then you can say, well, my gosh, they're, they're a direct threat to our nation. We yeah. have to do something about it. And in order to do something about it, we need to grant the government these extraordinary powers. Well, of course, granting the government and the people who control the government those extraordinary powers is the goal in and of itself. It has nothing to do with these arbitrary groups. It's to find a wedge issue that allows those who would like to grab total control over the power and the levers of government, give them a, a lever by which they can maneuver that power into their own hands. And that's exactly what this does. And it's extremely dangerous. It's also been proven extremely effective. That's why we've had such a bloody last hundred and some years of genocide. Yeah. People are really drawn to, to that collectivist mindset. You know, when you put someone in this group, 
Is it because it's simple? Now you have a clearer picture, as, as false and, you know, and disillusioned as it is. You have a clearer picture of what the problem is. So by saying it's this group's problem, well, is, do you think there's any parallel to today's, you know? Well, can I just point something out? I was thinking as, as Dennis was making those comments that, in fact, if you look at history— and, and, and also based on my personal experience, having lived for four years in a communist country, um, this tendency to blame some shadowy foreign conspiracy is actually primarily a characteristic of the radical left. Okay, so for example, in your homeland, original homeland of Romania, the last speech given by Nicolae Ceausescu before his overthrow of the dictator of Romania, um, where he's standing in the, in the center of Bucharest, and what does he say? I don't remember. All these I don't know how to say it in Romanian, but he says all these disturbances are being carried out by foreign infiltrators. It's foreigners. It's foreign influences doing this. Mm -hmm. And when I lived in the People's Republic of China, it was the same way. Every time a crisis like COVID came up, it was all the foreigners' fault. Now it's time to go out and hate the foreigners, blame the foreigners. Foreigners are responsible for mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. And you find this anywhere you find so-called left, whatever that means, the left-wing tyranny. Uh, but the radical left loves to blame foreigners. So in a sense, and, and Nazism really is, a, you know, a, from our perspective, is a leftist movement as well. Mm -hmm. Only in the case of Nazism was blame the Jews, the foreigners in our midst, you yeah. know, these alien non-Christian people. Well, the Russians did you know? the same thing previously, And the Russians right? did the same thing. Sure, they did. Every communist country does that because that's, that's their primary means of distracting from the inadequacies of their own regime. You know, don't blame us. Blame the foreigners. Blame foreign agents and all this type of thing. Yeah. This, this type of paranoia, which is always being assigned to so-called right-wing extremism, whatever that actually means, it's kind of a vague term, mm. is actually indigenous to the left. Do you think there's any parallel between what we've been discussing here and this, what seems like um, a pattern with our own government now, uh, blaming was it white nationalism? Absolutely. They label the color and 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 what is? Do you think there's a parallel? That's exactly the same thing. It's that same formula applied over and over and over again. We're seeing it applied now. Find some group that can be demonized, collect mm -hmm. them together in some sort of arbitrary collectivist yeah. categorization, demonize them to the nth degree that you can, and by th and through that demonization, create conditions by which you can arrogate to yourself increasing amounts of political power and governmental power. Yeah. And that only serves to aggrandize those folks who are looking to achieve that level of power. So that's what we have going on right now with our so-called progressive left, which really is retrogressive because what we're talking about here, this collectivization impulse, has really deep, archaic roots back to the very, very ancient tribalism when your group of people who might have lived in a tiny village uh, at the time of the transition from hunter-gatherer to grain-growing and herdsmanship you might have seen some other group of people coming over the hill and you don't know what they're what they're about you don't know what they're yeah. after and the idea is well those people are dangerous and we have to do something about them mm -hmm. uh, that is very archaic uh, the concept of individualism the Lockean concept of individualism upon which our classical liberal uh, approach that you know is part and parcel of what the John Birch Society and the New American stand for and is at the foundation of Americanism and the founding of this country is quite modern by contrast it's to celebrate and look at the value of the individual and the action of the individual, and this is what's inherent in the economics of Adam Smith and what was a part and parcel of the sociology, if you wish, of Edmund Burke and the political philosophy of Edmund Burke, right down to the present day, the founding of the United States of America. So we're talking about something new, in a, in a sense, in human history compared to very archaic and retrogressive collectivism, which is you know, the, the left likes to pretend itself as the progressives, but they're very retrogressive in this sense. Yeah. Well, 
this this seems to be a tactic. If I were the true conspiracy, this would be a tactic that I would implement, right? Because now you could shut down the conversation. And it wasn't until I actually came here and I started working here and I started doing my job as a as a PR man that I I had even spoken to to various people in, in specifically in left wing media and they're like, by the way, you guys. I remember one in particular said, you guys should stop using the word globalists because it has anti-Semitic connotations. And I had never considered that because I had considered the full mm. definition of globalists. And that's what we discuss. And so it's gripped. You know, for all I know, that guy was genuine. Mm. You know, he re- that's, that's all, all he knew. But doesn't this sure seem like a, a, a tactic by the true conspiracy to shut down conversation about it? Indeed, it does. <laughs> That's been my experience. I mean, you can't reason with unreason. Yeah, and it's 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 dependent on getting people to to buy into it. For instance, you know, you say it's like it's the Jews, and I ran into someone at a Red Pill Expo who was, you know, was actually I, at least he was posing as a real neo-Nazi, and he he had like a shirt with the the Iron Eagle or whatever it was that they had, and he said, how can we be at the Red Pill and not discuss the Jews? It's the Jews. And, you know, I had mentioned something to the effect, it's like, um, well, you know, uh, what did I say? Something about communism. Uh, Stalin wasn't, I believe I said Stalin wasn't wasn't a Jew, and look what he did through, because he was like, communism is a ploy of the Jews. And he's like, well, he was one-third Jew, you know? And this is, I think, how they think. It always comes down. They're going to fit it into that and fit it into that narrative. But again, it's dependent on people actually believing that there's this whole group of people, and they all think the same, right? That's, that's, a, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, here's the funny thing about that. It, it, it is true that the Jews are an exceptional people. I mean, I, I used to teach at a university, and uh, I had so many extraordinarily talented students who were Jewish students, many of them coming from New York City, who came from that very, very high-pressure yeah. environment, you know, you will succeed, and, and this sort of thing, and, and, and they were just remarkable. Um, so, okay, so if we want to blame everything on the Jews, let's talk about the positive things the Jews have done, because most of the people who gave us modern, oh, modern physics, for example, most of those people that created quantum mechanics and all the rest of it, yeah. the fruits of which we're enjoying right now with the internet and everything else, they were almost all Jewish. Yeah. Not all of them, but a very large proportion were. In fact, a particular group of Jews who came out of Budapest, Hungary, uh, who are sometimes called the Martians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Martians, people. huh? Yeah, because, well, because they spoke a language no one else could understand, Hungarian, and they were also preternaturally bright. The most intelligent was probably uh, John von Neumann, okay, who had mm-hmm. an office right down the hall from Albert Einstein during the Princeton, their days at the Princeton Institute for Advanced Studies. Uh, John von Neumann was probably the brightest human being of the 20th century. He was a, an incredible child prodigy. And uh, all of his friends, people like Jürgen Wigner and Leo Szilard and so forth, who were all Nobel Prize winners as well, um, they all said, yeah, we're just ordinary people, but, you know, Janke, that was, you know, John, John von Neumann, he, he was a true genius. But there were many others. Yeah. Uh, Karman, the guy who pretty much invented the jet engine, a uh, great mathematician by the name of Paul Erdős, who probably published more mathematics papers. Than they all came out of the Jewish neighborhood, a very small area of Budapest in the mm-hmm. late 19th century, and uh, and gifted the rest of the world with their talents. And in many ways, you could say the Jews gave us the 20th century in the positive sense of the word. You know, a yeah. lot of technology. So uh, yeah, I agree. The Jews are exceptional people. Um, and yeah, there's some that are bad eggs. I mean, you know, Meyer Lansky was a Jew, the, the, and so forth. But uh, the gangster, it, 
Yeah, the gangster. Yeah. But um, you know, but that it, but but that's that is much as to say, okay, well, let's blame organized crime on the Italians because of the mafia or something. Right, like right. That. And all Italians are, are gangsters. I mean, I, I think at a psychological level, and this is just my opinion, but I I, I do think to s- some of the genuine anti-Semitism that you see, and it really isn't that active a force in America nowadays. I, I mean, one of the major differences between American history and European history is that, you know, hatred of the Jews has just never been much of a factor in this country. It's been, you know, whereas in Europe, obviously, it's been very... very well, I mean, but, it was somewhat existent, especially... It, it, it's, it, it's here and there, but I think a, a lot of it, you know, is, is frankly is envy because they've been so successful. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you had mentioned and banking... And and so one of the the main uh, the main weapons or uh, narratives against the Jews is that they own all the banking and you know you well there's a reason for that of course and well, the reason the reason is that back in the Middle Ages yeah they learned that they developed the trade of banking because uh, it was prohibited at that time to lend money for interest just as it is today in the, in much of the Muslim mm-hmm. world it's still the case it, charging any type of interest is considered to be sinful. And so the Jews, that was a niche that they were willing to occupy, and, and, and most of medieval Christendom was willing to sort of look the other way and acknowledge that, yeah, well, there is sort of a need for this critical financial service. We'll let the Jews do it because— But it's you know, all major sort of banking owned by— Not, by, not today. No. no, of course not. But, 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 but they learned the trade. Right, right. And so, so then it's easy to obviously, you know, we, we've talked a lot about—we talk a lot about banking and finance. Yeah. Here, but when we say things like, well, we need to abolish uh, fractional reserve banking and the Federal Reserve federal along with reserve, it, yeah. that doesn't mean because— uh, it's Jews all run by a secret cabal of Jews. That's not what right. we're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact is that a lot of that, you know, happened to have been invented by Jews, but a lot of that's cultural accent because they needed to survive somehow as a mm-hmm. community, and that was one of the niches. Also, Venice in particular is one European state in the Middle Ages where Jews were permitted. If you've ever read The, the Merchant of Venice, a very anti-Semitic yeah. piece by, by Shakespeare, um, that was a sort of parody of a reality, which is there was a very large community of Jews in Venice, which was the center of European trade and commerce through most of the Middle Ages. Yeah. And so, again, that's another reason that, you know, that, that, that they, you know, they were able to, to more or less practice their religion without danger of having their synagogues burnt and so forth. And so, naturally, they assumed a very important role in the commerce of Venice, which was pretty much the superpower of Europe during the high Middle Ages. Yeah. This was one of the things that uh, uh, JBS founder Robert Welch warned about in his, uh, you know, in tangents, one of the tangents he discusses, this danger, this anti-Semitism danger. And um, we've had one of our founding members, I believe at least one, you know, we have wonderful Jewish members and we have uh, one of founding members and I, I don't even know how many members we have, but, but the point being is that anyone can join in the freedom cause because what we stand for is freedom for everyone. It, like you said, it's individualism, right. uh, not this, this collectivist. And it's hard, it seems like, not to play onto people's, I guess they would be inclinations. Would you agree that the collectivism, the, the thought of grouping and labeling is an inclination we have as humans? Is that why they... They they do this because then I want to go into the the true what is this con, this conspiracy that we talk about? We've spent so much effort and ink and and uh, and uh, computer text uh, describing this. Well, I, I think I think first of all, you know, genuine racism is a form of collectivism, no question about it. Right. Okay? And then the other thing is that it is you know a somewhat human impulse for particularly people who are, who are uninformed when they see a crisis. 
that is in some way related to demographics. Mm-hmm. Right, right now, of course, the immigration, illegal immigration crisis yeah. is, is the major. That's, it's, it's uh, you know, th- there's a temptation to, to, not, to not ask the hard question, well, who's responsible? And just say, look at all those people coming in from other countries who don't share our culture and, and this kind of thing, you know, and yeah. sort of sort of blame it on them. Well, you know, most of those people, they they're they're coming from places that are genuinely poor and wretched, mm-hmm. and they're seeking opportunities. Yeah. And the opportunity, the Biden administration has given them that opportunity, and they're following the incentives that are being laid down. The proper perspective is to say, well, if you know, to in assigning blame. Rather than blaming the people who are trooping across the Rio Grande, is to blame the people who are making this this unprecedented, illicit migration possible, possible. yeah, and for very nefarious reasons. Okay, but then if you say, oh well, they're doing it because they want to change the voting demographics of the United States, then you, you then you're then you're accused of another, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, that's replacement theory, that's yeah, another yeah. racist conspiracy theory. Well, no, actually, it's not racist. It's a reality. It's been acknowledged many times that it is the policy of many of these people, at least the informal policy, to encourage uh, immigration from certain places. I mean, they don't encourage it from other places. So you don't see them openly encouraging Cubans to come to the United States. Yeah. Okay, because Cubans are coming from a communist country. They arrive here ready to do battle against communism. We can't have that, okay? Mm -hmm. So you want to bring in people who are relatively uneducated from leftist countries who can be relied upon, they suppose, to to bring those leftist patterns of of, of thought and and behavior with them, right? Dennis, is it it racist to to expect people who do come to the United States to— acclimate to the culture and uh, and embrace the values? It's not racist to give them the opportunity, but then that is something of their own individual initiative, whether they wish to do that or not. Uh, but I want to elaborate a little bit further on what, uh, what Steve said. That's extremely important. This mass immigration that we're experiencing now is mass victimization. It's mass victimization of Americans, and it's mass victimization of the people who are being forced to come here. Uh, in a sense, it's the new version of ethnic cleansing, not just as it applies to Americans, but as it applies to the victims who are being forced to make that arduous, very dangerous uh, transition from where they're coming from to where they're going, uh, which probably is not something they wanted to do necessarily. Um, you and they're being so? forced into it in many well, cases. Well, you said that. Tw- how, do you, how do you figure they're being forced into they're it? They're being forced into it because of terrible government policies that make it untenable to live where they, where they are. So they are forced to make a trip that they may not wish to make. They are forced to deal with criminal elements in order to make that trip that they may not wish to associate with. And they're forced to do it because the prospect for life under the circumstances which they've been living uh, doesn't look particularly good. They're, they're faced with uh, a rock and a hard place scenario where they have to make a hard choice to do something that's just very dangerous, yeah. likely to result in sickness or death or injury, uh, and to arrive in a place where they don't probably don't speak the language, don't know anyone, don't have any skills uh, to integrate with the economy. And it's a very difficult situation. They're being victimized, and Mm -hmm. so are the arriving citizens of the country where they're going. They're being victimized as well because this this presents an opportunity to get back again. We're creating a classification of people, immigrants, illegal immigrants in this case, uh, that can then be set up to oppose the citizens and that dichotomy allows for a lever for the aggrandizement of government power in order to solve the problem that has arisen from the crisis. So this just tends to bring more power into the hands of the executive branch to water down our system of government and to create conditions for the eventual outcome that they seek, which is 
uh, a dictatorship. Do you believe uh, the U.S. foreign policy has any role to play in the conditions that sent some of these people coming to the U.S.? I would say that's an almost certainty. Uh, that's a great hypothesis that we could easily test looking at what's been going on. But, uh, you know, the proper foreign policy under the American system of government is not to engage in foreign aid to these countries and not to engage in coups, not to promote color revolutions, all the things that we've been doing uh, the past 25 years and more, uh, even I going back, more, much back more. The, days, yeah, huh? exactly. Going back to Iran uh, in the 1950s, these things tend to create chaos. Uh, in the countries in which they occur, in the countries in which we produce those effects. But how could that be? That was to to, uh, to propagate democracy in those, in those nations. Well, I, I don't think so. <laughs> one of the problems is that... Isn't that what they saw that at? at <laughs> least yes, the they well, I mean, I mean, you know, one of, one of my favorite countries in the world is Argentina, and a lot of people don't realize that Argentina in the 19th century was probably the world's greatest economic success story, outstripping even the United States yeah, for I several sure decades in terms of economic growth. Yeah, because Argentina started out after several decades post-independence from Spain with a, a series of dictators and decided, well, we don't want dictators. So they set, up, they set up this wonderful constitution, largely modeled on the United States, and also adopted a policy of strict laissez-faire economics because they wanted you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the wise men who were the founding fathers of Argentina said, we want to do what the United States did. We want to encourage lots of immigrants from different countries and, and make our country a melting pot and attract lots of talent. And they were very successful at doing this. But then, you know, starting in the, you know, the 1920s, 1930s, European socialists and communists began exporting their ideas to Argentina and indeed all of Latin America. Mm -hmm. And of course, the result is today that Argentina's economy is a basket case. It's never become fully communist. But this saga has been repeated over and over again yeah. that the West, having discovered um, in the, you know, the, the Enlightenment era and so forth, or, you know, the age of reason or whatever you choose to call it, having discovered, thanks to John Locke and, and others, you know, the principles of limited government and then putting them into practice in varying degrees in the United States and uh, Canada and certain of the countries in Western Europe and enjoying resultant enormous economic success then proceeded to say, well, no, actually, this is all wicked and venal, and what we need to have is, is socialism and communism instead, and exported those ideas to places like Latin America, mm -hmm. uh, who adopted them, yeah. more or less. I mean, you know, for example, uh, Simon Bolivar, uh, the leader, uh, one of the great heroes of, of, of independence in South America, was actually kind of a socialist. Yeah. His tutor as a boy was a, was a, was a, a French revolutionary who fled mm -hmm. France. And so when... Say, when um, Hugo Chavez set up the dictatorship in Venezuela. He referred to himself as being Bolivariano, having Bolivarian circles yeah. and said, I'm doing everything the way Simon Bolivar wanted. People don't realize this. So, this, so as a result, Venezuela's economy has been destroyed. And then, of course, the people say, well, we got to come to the United States. So, so we do two things. Number one, we export all of these noxious ideas. And in many cases, the noxious people who go in and, 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 and literally subvert governments yeah. all over the world to bring about socialism, which impoverishes the people. And then the impoverished people start saying, well, you got to go somewhere else. You know, we can't live in Venezuela or, or Argentina or Mexico or Guatemala yeah. anymore. Let's go you know, up to Gringolandia in the north or whatever. And then, of course, all you need to do is have you know, an opportunistic leftist government like the Biden administration – Throw the doors open. It's it's a wonderful kind of a revolving door policy from the point of view of of, of, yeah. of the radical left. And by radical left, I mean the insider conspiracy. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, your socialism and and uh, communism, 
that's one of the arguments that anti-Semites make is that we have the Jews to thank for that. That's not necessarily true, is it? It is true that Marx was Jewish. Well, yes. Okay, uh, but again, I mean, I don't know that whether was Engels he. Was or I not. mean, is that really where? I, the, I think so. I think so. No, no, no. I'm saying but, is that uh, where that can't. That's not necessarily. But it doesn't. Where it no, no. no but I mean, he happened to be Jewish. But as I said, uh, you know, are you again? Most of the prominent mathematicians and scientists the last twenty years have all uh, two hundred years have been Jewish as well. So yeah. you know we're going to say quantum mechanics is a is a Jewish theory. You know <laughs> it's, kind of, it, it's absurd, right? It's only when you get into something fraught like politics yeah. that people start to bring in the you know the racial element. Well, the, so that's absurd. The socialistic ideas that Marx gave expression those to. those are age old ideas. Very old. Not? I mean, you can go and find some oh, yeah. of these ideas in ancient Rome. There's they, they were well, not look at Plato's Republic or the Levellers yeah. during the during the English Civil War. Yeah, know, these, the diggers, diggers these are malicious levelers. ideas that resonate with people periodically and are used mm. by people who are seeking absolute power. Uh, that the ideas themselves are separate from, in that sense, the the people who think of them or who use them. Uh, they're not an ethnic. They're not. They don't originate in any kind of ethnicity. They don't originate in uh, any kind of uh, religious background. They originate in the idea that this is a good way to generate ultimate power for oneself. Yeah. And it's used as a tool to that end always and everywhere. It's been an organizing principle for centuries and centuries and centuries. And only with the establishment, in my opinion, of the United States of America with its constitution and its declaration of independence that are clearly founded on the very modern idea of individual rights in the Lockean sense that we have broken with this finally and utterly. Uh, but we have not won. Ultimately, we're facing centuries of this tribal yeah. uh, orientation that people tend to fall into, this error that people fall into, and it's not easy to transition away from it. We're still at the beginning of that transition culturally on a large well, scale. Well, they're trying to bring us back to it. They're trying, they're trying to revert it. It's, like I say, it's very retrogressive. Yeah. Um, and we're still at the beginning of this experience of trying to make the individual the basis of a constructive, free society. Mm -hmm. We've succeeded here in the United States to a degree. We haven't broken free. We haven't succeeded everywhere else. Yeah. But people need to keep in mind, this is just the start after a long history of the alternative. That is most of human history. Yeah. That's, how, that's how we thought. Now you, speaking of day, we say day a lot. Let's clearly define, you know, for whatever it's worth, you got to give it the conspiracy is, is, is a diverse group. Is it or is it not? You know, you oh, yeah. you, know, you you refer to them in your book Endgame as the international oligarch class, right? That's there's so many definitions flowing around, and I think there's a lot of confusion. How would you describe, especially in in the context of what we're talking about today, the this conspiratorial class, this group, this elite group? Well, I think as it's arrived at to its destination today. This is a group of people who have been educated in like-minded institutions, have gone to work downstream from those into like-minded institutions, have then trained the next generation of teachers in like-minded institutions, and have created a cohesive group of people who are internationalist in outlook. They don't look upon uh, people who find themselves as citizens of France, as French, any longer as being modern. That's, that's antique, that's old-fashioned. I'm, I'm an internationalist. I know no borders. Yeah. I'm not an American. I'm an internationalist. I know no borders. I'm not, a, I'm not a British citizen. I'm an internationalist. I know no borders. And this is a new ethos that they've generated amongst a certain uh, very wealthy class of people who uh, tend to gather together. And we're seeing the cream of that crop gathered as we speak in Davos, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And the people in Davos, they're from everywhere. They're from all kinds of backgrounds. But they share a certain worldview. They share the idea 
of an international order. And they're very openly talking about this in Davos, yeah. creating a new system. I'm, I'm, that's from their own literature yeah, right yeah. now for this, this year's meeting. They're going to create a new system uh, that will apply across the areas of the world that they can control, that they control. They're creating it. Now, again, this is something they're going to impose on everyone else. Yeah. Uh, this isn't something that individually anyone in, as a citizen of America, as a citizen of Canada, as a citizen of you know, France or Argentina or anywhere else has any input in. It's not being debated in Congress. It's not being debated in the Senate. Uh, there are no bills necessarily that are tied to this directly. These people are doing that because they have a worldview and the power to make that worldview their reality and then fasten it upon us. Yeah. And one of the tools they use is create these divisions through collectivism that gives them the power to manipulate people. Can I just add something to that? And that is, um, I think there's an additional dimension to this that, that, bears, that bears mentioning, and that is that it's not just about politics and economics and sociology and, and all that good stuff, although you know, for some it may be. But at root, one finds that the insiders, as we have called them for decades, are motivated by uh, spiritual things. There, there, there's, there's a very much, you know, not only hostility to Christianity, but also hostility to Judaism um, and so forth um, that, that, that is at the heart of this. And, and all you need to do if you go and visit the UN grounds in New York City, amidst all the political symbolism, the flags and the statues of it, you'll also find spiritual stuff. You'll find groups like the Lucis Trust, which is a very old, over century old, you know, Luciferian organization, okay, that, that, is, that has an office mm -hmm. in the UN. Uh, you'll see, you know, if you visit the, you know, the, the um, what's it called, the worship room there, there's a, a sort of a chapel there, but it's um, not like any chapel you or I have ever been to. It's this dark room with this black altar in it and everything else. And um, you find, if you look closely at the writings of people, even going back to the French Revolution of the so-called radical left, that there's definitely this spiritual dimension that in the first instance is always motivated by hostility, implacable hostility to Judeo-Christianity. Yeah. This idea, that because Judeo-Christianity is the religious tradition that worships the one God, who's above all, who, including the state, of course. So They hate that, though. Yeah, they? so you need to re re get rid of that and replace it with some sort of state religion, just like all the empire, you know, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and so forth, the Chinese of ancient times, you know, for whom the emperor was always a god, and for which you know the god, you know, the will of the state and the will of the gods was mm -hmm. always deemed one and the same. Now, obviously, today it would probably have to be something a little more sophisticated. But if you look at the global environmentalist movement, as my several of our colleagues have ably documented over the years, yeah. there's a very strong component of eco paganism there, yeah. and so forth and so on. Okay. So at root, it's it's more than just a worldview. It's a it's a cosmic and spiritual and religious perspective on, the, on who we are and what our role ought to be. And it's, it's completely opposed and it's in, to, to everything in Christianity and Judaism alike. Okay? And moreover, there's, it is organized and purposeful. It's not just sort of happening by, by accident, which is why we call it a conspiracy, yeah. unblushingly. Well, you know, yeah. and the Judeo-Christian tradition lands importantly on a very important place. And that is the individual relationship to God and the salvation of the individual soul uh, in the Christian terms through the, through the salvific mission of Jesus on earth. So if we're to take, it, take the Christian component of that. We come down very firmly upon the individual, which is, again, the religious foundation for the idea that the, the individual is the ethical repository of rights and responsibilities. 
which is diametrically opposed to the internationalist ethos, which Steve is bringing up in the religious sense. And we'll car I'll carry that forward and say in the context of Endgame, the book I've just written and that you can now uh, buy from shopjbs.org. Uh, in that context, they want to replace the Christian, Judeo-Christian idea of God and salvation of the individual soul via that mm -hmm. celestial divine work with the agency of humans. And that's the point of what the, the technocrats among the intellectual oligarchy class are getting with, getting to when they say the singularity is near. The singularity being the technological achievement of salvation by human hands yeah. for certain people, uh, as opposed to the revelation and the divine uh, to the individual person and the salvation of every individual soul who follows, you know, in the Christian sense, who follows the salvific mission of Jesus. This is a direct revolt against God. Uh, in the sense that it's thought by these people directly, they can achieve salvation, they can achieve immortality without the Christian and Judeo-Christian yeah. tradition. That's 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 kind of like at the heart of it, and I know we don't talk about it as much because, well, I don't know why, but I know we do in a sense. You know, in in this in the Great Reset here, one of the stories is the diabolic origins of the conspiracy, and it touches on that. And there's that that's that's the heart of it and it seems like and you you know very well cuz you've documented this is that they have figured out a way once again or at least tried once again to become as gods just like in the garden of eden uh that's that that was the the appeal of of eating of the mm -hmm. apple right was you be like god and and now here they're saying we have eliminated whatever you thought we are so high we have so much power and technology we are so beyond you that first of all they think they can live forever now right is that what <laughs> many of them do believe that you it know? sounds fantastic to the average person uh, but billions of dollars are now spent on the technological achievement of immortality. They literally believe this is possible. It's an idea that animates yeah. the spending and the investment of billions of dollars to pursue that end. Yes. National Geographic did a, I believe, a six-part series called Year One Million, and it talks about all these aspects. And I believe in episode four, it, it uses the myth of the Tower of Babel uh, and how, you know, they says, there's a story in the Bible, this myth about the Tower of Babel and how, and then they say, well, as mythical as that is, as fictional as it is, uh, that story is real here now. You know, they, they say that's kind of a parallel where they, uh, where we are now. What do you think, Steve? I don't know. I was, I was just thinking about... <laughs> you look like you're about to... <laughs> well, we've ranged over so many topics. I, I, I would say, you know, bringing it back to the original, the yeah, original yeah. top, the, the original topic, which that is... That was a long rabbit hole, huh? <laughs> I don't think it was, because it's all, it's well, really, it's, we're it's, talking about the conspiracy It's constructive, we, well, and, and why we're trying to explain why it's not a Jewish conspiracy, and why, uh, you know, and, and how to, to sort of dissociate yeah. all of these hysterical accusations of, well, if you're a right-winger, yeah. if you talk about conspiracy of all, therefore you must hate the Jews, you must yeah. be an anti-Semite. And I mean, I, I think that in light of what we were just talking about, one thing to bear in mind is that... Um, I think that the conspiracy hates religious Jews as much as it hates Christians. Mm, the evidence there is really clear. They, they, they hate Orthodox Jews and anyone like that. Anyone who's a you know, practicing, believing Jew um, seems to be as, 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 as much of a target as, as practicing Christians are. Well, so, how are you going to so control somebody who has, a higher, who has a higher authority above them? 
It's the same concept, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so I, I mean, and another thought that was, that was sort of racketing around in my head just now was, that, you know, the question that always ri- arises when you start talking about the conspiracy people is, okay, well, who are they? Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about the Illuminati or is it the Rosicrucians or who exactly? Please tell me. Name names. I want to know. Well, yeah. the problem with conspiracies, and this one in particular, is that it is difficult because by, you know, they're by nature very secretive. And so while the Illuminati and the Skull and Bones and the Bohemian Grove and mm. Club of Rome and all these other organizations, the Trilateral Commissions, clearly are affiliated with it, um, it's very difficult to know the contours. But I'll tell you this, and this, 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 this is, uh, I think, significant. You can tell who the people who matter are. They're the ones you're never allowed to criticize, and they're the ones that no matter how vicious and venal their conduct is, they always get away with stuff. And I can think of a certain former president and first lady, yeah. neither of whom are Jewish, who meet that description precisely. Is it Mr. and Mrs. Bill? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Bill and Hillary. I mean, for literally decades, they've been getting away with an extraordinary array yeah. of crimes, real crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously Hillary most recently getting away with with all kinds of, you know, with the classified document scandals that are going around. Everybody seems to have forgotten what was happening just a few years ago when it turns out Hillary had a server, in her, an unsecured server in her house when she was Secretary of State, not President or Vice President, that was processing classified information. And she went, she and her associates went and, you know, destroyed hard drives and acid washed them yeah. and, and all this type of thing uh, to make sure that no one ever got their hands on, on evidence. And yet somehow there was not enough evidence to ever convict her. And the same with Bill and all of his, uh, yeah. Bill Clinton, all of his, and I'm not just talking about dalliances with interns in the Oval Offices. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about the big stuff. People forget that the original art- articles of, 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 of impeachment for, Hillary, for Clinton included accusations of what amounts to high treason, selling American secrets mm-hmm. to the Chinese communists, technology to produce ICBMs in exchange for, you know, re-election the yeah. monies back in back in 1996, which is documented in in the book Year of the Rat, among other places, and we've somehow just completely forgotten about it. And yet, this you know the number one geopolitical crisis right now, the China Taiwan thing, which could be a world war, and people talking about well, China you know could has the missiles to wipe out U.S. bases and nuke American cities if we dare intervene on behalf of China. Where did they get that technology? They got it thanks to good old Bill Clinton, yuck, yuck, oh. yuck, back in the 90s and his, and his sweetheart deals with, with the Chinese communists. Uh, and yet he's never been held to account for this. Right. Never been held to account. And neither has his wife. And, and you could, if you go through the roster of, Ameri- of, of, of leaders, you'll see that there are some who just seem to be too big to, va- to fail, to borrow a, a phrase from corporate yeah. America, that just seem to be untouchable. Some of them are Jewish. Some of them are not. You, you, know? you mentioned that, you know, it's, it's hard to tell exactly, but man, we've done, we've put out so much stuff trying to explain. And maybe, mm. maybe that's why you see it that way. Because the more I read, the more I look into it, you know, I, I wouldn't say it gets more complicated, but it's, it's a more convoluted uh, system. You, you and I talked about this. It's like, we talk about the Council on Foreign Relations. And of course, Dan Smoot wrote that, The Invisible Government. And it's, it's wonderful breakdown of it. But it's like, well, not everyone in the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, is no, but is. the key players. Yes, and, and, yes, and these include these these brain trust types going back decades who are responsible for admiring us and all these horrible, you know, needless foreign wars and all this other stuff are somehow never held to account for their crimes, are they? 
you know, the folks who brought you the Vietnam War and the invasion of Iraq and all this. So just to talk about one, yeah. one issue that people, you know, wars. There are others we could talk mm-hmm. about, financial crises and so forth. Uh, the people who are actually responsible, whom everyone knows are responsible, who are always exposed by some enterprising journalist somewhere. I mean, if you dig deep enough, you can always find the truth of, mm-hmm. of these matters. And yet the real players never seemed, you know, yeah. ne- never seemed to be held to account. And so that, yeah, that for me, that's a pretty good litmus test of who they are. They are the ones that never, ever seem to face justice. And here we are talking about the Jewish tangent when mm. there is something, all these other things are really, really happening. And the reason that we brought this up is one of, the, the, one of my jobs is that we, I overlook social media and we see there are especially particular social media websites where it seems like this is more prevalent. I don't know if it's true if the, or if they're bots or whatnot, but this, this has always existed to some degree. I, you know, again, we don't know how big or whatnot it is, but it sure seems like it does a good job if it becomes uh, enough of a problem to distract us from who they are, but more importantly, what they're doing and how we could come together as, as Americans who, who truly want freedom, who, who, who that's our only commonality. We want to, to, to band together to defend freedom. It's sure, I mean, it's a distraction, isn't it? I'd go further than distraction. I'd say it's a neutralizing subject entirely. Um, the fact that we're spending time on it is neutralizing us from talking about other yeah. uh, very important matters. Uh, we, we aren't doing our part really to move forward at this point in terms of uh, pointing out the incredible achievement of individual rights mm-hmm. and responsibilities and what that means. Uh, that's a that's that's a fire in the mind that points the direction forward to great outcomes for everyone. Um, new wealth, new well-being, new yeah. health, uh, new modes of living, uh, n- new freedoms, uh, incredible innovation. We're not working toward that right now. We're fighting off the past. And so we're neutralized from that point of view. We're also seeing people who might be able to jump into that battle uh, and bring our culture and our civilization forward being neutralized because they're being completely destroyed by this hate uh, that is being engendered for them by falling into the collectivist mindset. And so they're taking themselves off the field. They're hurting themselves, they're hurting their families, most importantly, and they're not contributing to the innovation that an individualist approach to social organization can provide. Uh, So this is a damaging, neutralizing uh, tendency. Yeah. What would you suggest to people listening if they were to run into this, or maybe they've even had these thoughts? You know, my suggestion is go back to basics. And the basic is this, where do, your, where do your rights come from? Read our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, the brilliant writer. Our rights are given to us by the Creator. They are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which we all know based on that formula that Jefferson was working from is life, liberty, and your ability to have the property that you need to sustain your life. Uh, that is the foundation. That's the individualist foundation for moving forward. Start there. Anything that conflicts with that, you know right away is, is a danger and a damaging uh, prospect for you. Right. Uh, but take that idea, that Jeffersonian idea, that Lockean idea that started back before Jefferson, and work on that in your personal life and move that philosophy forward. That's how we're going to do better as a civilization. That's how you're going to make your family better. That's how you're going to contribute more to your employer. You can share that idea with your employers. You can share that idea 
with your coworkers, with your friends. These things used to be taught in civics. That's mm -hmm. gone. So now it falls to you. Now it falls to every American to be that civics teacher for your family, for your friends, and for your coworkers. Thanks, Dennis. You get the last word, Steve. Last word. Well, I, I second what Dennis would say. I mean, I'm thinking about the, the, the name of this show, Freedom is the Cure. Yes, but in the context of education. Mm. People have to be educated. You cannot be ignorant and free. Yeah. Okay. So um, the thing about, you know, what, one thing I learned living in a communist country is that the definition of communism is really very simple. It's collectivized hatred. Yeah, you were telling me that. That's before. what it is. And you know, and I think George Orwell understood that, you know, in, in 1984, you know, the 2 minutes hate is this daily ritual, like every hour or every every couple times a day where people are required to stand in front of the telescreen and yell, and at. yell hate at whoever the, the you know, the enemy so, of the moment, the East Asians or the Euro, Eurasians were and also at Emmanuel Goldstein, who of course is a Jew, notice they was you know, this 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 mythical figure who's supposed to be the enemy of the state. Is that a character fugitive. in 1984? It, it, well, he's the fugitive who supposedly is, is is leading you know the the underground resistance against mm -hmm. the state, and it's implied that he's Jewish as well. So I mean, 1984 captures that 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 kind of hysteria very well. But you know, I mean. I mean, you, you have to have, I mean, the full package. You have to have freedom. You have to have education. And also there has to be, you know, a measure of, of, of civic virtue. Yeah. Right? Those three things, um, you know, if, if you have those three ingredients, then, I mean, there will always be combining men who will, you know, do their little works in the darkness. They existed at the time of the founding fathers. The difference was the founders who were virtuous, educated, free men, uh, by and large, were able to discern their machinations. For example, when Citizen Genet, Citoyen Genet, uh, who was the French revolutionary ambassador to the United States, was sent to the U.S., uh, he started right away setting up so-called democracy clubs in all, all the states. And uh, George Washington, President Washington at the time, and many in his cabinet, re realized right away what was going well, on. Yeah. This is an attempt of the, the, those French to export their, that, that, you know, that, their, their version of, of revolution, which they knew to be a dark... Uh, an unholy thing. Most of them did. Thomas Paine. Thomas Jefferson were, didn't, though. A little bit. Yeah, some of them were a little bit confused in the matter. But once you know, once the terror got started, I think they pretty much figured out what what it was what it was well, about. The, once the guillotine kept yeah. going and going. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so so and, I mean, even then, I mean, the, the, you know, so the, the, so the subversives made some inroads, but not a lot. And the reason that the conspiracy is so effective today is that it's operating in in a in you know in this sort of this very very uh, fertile ground of, mm -hmm. of, of popular ignorance that Dennis mentioned of, of our history and our heritage and so forth. Yeah. So I would, you know, first of all, I would enjoin all of our listeners to educate themselves to the best of their ability and also to be the best people they can be. Yeah. To be worthy of self-government because as surely as we're sitting here talking, if you do not make yourself worthy of governing yourself, someone else is always willing yeah. to come along and do the job for you. Yeah. I would go further to add that that you joined the John Birch Society. Mm. Uh, we've always been a collection of people from various backgrounds and races and colors. Absolutely. And, and you know, they've even with us, of course, they've tried to say that the opposite. We're very diverse, aren't we? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're incredibly diverse people. Well, we we I mean, we are. You go. Our chapters span the country, and we have we have always had folks like that. Uh, you know, there's even uh, was an investigation into the JBS that Robert Welch asked for because they were making these these same false accusations about us. And sure enough, the the government of California went in, they did an investigation. They're like, you know, these people, uh, they're not 
anti-Semitic. They're not racist. And in fact, they have integrated groups. And this was before the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Before the law came enforced integration, the John Birch Society already had integrated chapters. And that for the simple reason that we realized that in order to defeat this conspiracy, all freedom lovers who are willing to work need to come together. Uh, I, you know, you were, you lived in a communist country. I was born in a communist country. And I, my dad did, uh, he defected twice. Well, no, he failed to defect twice. He tried um, to arrive at a place that, that, that was America because everyone knew that America was the place that you can work hard and actually earn as hard as you work and no one is going to oppress you. The governments aren't going to, you know, bug your phone and, and, you know, put informants in your church and listen in and, and whatever, you know, I think... After some are saying, well, that's no longer necessarily the case. That's unfortunate. But the point being is, if America is not left, doesn't stand, the game's over, right? There's, I mean, who's, we're the last best place. I, you know, I know that sounds, I can say that, I guess. I'm an immigrant, right? <laughs> I came here for a reason, and so, may, so did so many others. And I have nothing against being Romanian. I love being Romanian. But this is the last stand, against this tyranny. And if we don't get rid of these tangents, these, these falsities, these things that, that, that breed hate and ignorance, then we're not going to win. We're not going to win. And I think we got a good chance of winning, you know, despite what they say out there on the, on the TVs and in the newspapers. I think the outlook is, is sunnier than they make it seem. I think there's a massive awakening. And I think part of the evidence for that is the pushback that we're seeing. Uh, you know, the, the policies and, and, and everything that they're doing to continue to sow hate and division and chaos and destroy our money system and all that, all the things we've been talking about. So thanks, guys. I guess I got the last word. Sure did. <laughs> but thank you so much. I, I, you know, I love talking to you guys. And, and uh, thank you for uh, spending this time with me. And uh, till next time. JBS founder Robert Welch said, anti-Semitism thrives on hatred and it makes a mockery of man's God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those unalienable rights belong to men and women of every race, color, and nationality. Anti-Semites, he added, are of no value to the freedom battle and they are not welcome in the John Birch Society. And that has always been the case. The conspiracy for global domination is real. It's causing massive carnage in this nation and most others. To defeat it, we must acknowledge its existence, know its schemes, and then ethically and legally organize to completely defeat it. Here at the JBS, we have always been working to do exactly that. Our members, men and women of many colors, races, and religions, are hard at work all over this nation. Birchers share one major commonality, a passionate drive to restore and defend freedom for everyone in this great republic that we've been blessed to inherit. We believe if it weren't for the JBS, the battle would already have been lost. So if you're looking to join us in the cause of a lifetime, apply for membership. You can start by reaching out to a regional coordinator who will help get you started. Link is in the description below. In the meantime, don't get sucked into any tangents, freedom lovers. <laughs>